0: Welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I'm your host, Sadia, and this is my mother, Ima. Hey, Ima.
1: Hello, little sweetness. How's my guy?
0: Good, thank God. Good, thank God.
1: How are you? You always be my my baby, no matter how old you are.
0: Uh, Treat me like a man. (laughs) Okay, so today's topic is something interesting. We're talking about is being around someone who has the same values and background as you, is that good or not?
1: Listen, that is a really good topic. I, you know, it's, I, I think it's something that's very, very, um, I'm not going to say it debatable. Like, I know. Like when it comes to marriage, that statistically, we've all heard, um, like different, uh, psychologists give their run on it and that, um, they say that the more that a married couple has in common, the more they're from the same cultural background, the better chance the marriage has of succeeding. But, you know, and we see, but we see couples, we see couples from different backgrounds, totally different backgrounds who do not make it because um, uh, they don't understand each other's, you know, type of thinking, the different, you know, different cultures, different cultural type of thinking. They don't have the same goals. Um, uh, or we also then we also see, on the other hand, you do see couples from different cultural backgrounds that do succeed in having a successful marriage. Like I have some, I have some friends, one friend in particular, who married, she's a regular Pikesville girl, you know, raised, raised right here, you know, Ashkenazic, Jewish girl raised in Pikesville. She married a Sephardic Jew. His parents are Libyans. They were brought to Israel during Operation Magic Carpet in the 1950s. He was raised in a tent, literally raised in a tent. And um, she met him when there was a uh, there was a boat uh, from Israel of Israeli soldiers that were um, that were docked, of course, in the Port of Baltimore. And I don't know if it was the JCC one of the local Jewish organizations decided to have like a welcoming um, dance for them, like yeah. a you know like a social thing. And so they sent out the word that they needed Jewish girls to come down to um, you know to basically you know uh, to join you know, basically to you know to meet these sailors and you know to dance with them. And they had it like a dance, like you know, music and dancing. Yeah, you know, and uh, refreshments and basically like a social thing, and so that's how she met her husband. Oh so, wow! Um, they they have a they have a very they've had a, a wonderfully successful marriage, and but every now and then there are little things that crop up that are so funny. I think they're funny because of the the differences in cultures. She told me that when uh, they started raising their family, when they uh, when she was expecting. She of course went to the, one of the baby stores or one of the you know one of the local stores and got a crib and a playpen and one of these jolly bouncers and you know all this like baby equipment a straw, you know a carriage the, the usual things that you usually buy when you're expecting a baby and he was looking at all the stuff she was buying he says I don't understand my mother raised ten children in a tent. And she had none of this. <laughs> and we all grew up just fine. She so says, why are we spending all this money of all this baby equipment?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, that's where it's like, if you have a different background, it can be, it could definitely be interesting. You could definitely have some very, very interesting conversations and discoveries. And you're learning more and more about other things outside of your own world. Um, and that's where there's this, you know, people are trying to find this balance where it's like, well, how far do you go? Do you go to the complete other side of of the spectrum? Or do you try to find someone that you can meet halfway? Now, at what point are you willing to, you know, sacrifice one thing or another to be with someone who's more different than you, or even just not even relationships. We're just talking about like being around other people that are, are had different views than you, especially nowadays, everything is so polarized. Everyone's, you know, freaking out one way or another, you know, politically and socially, but trying to dabble in being around people that are different than you, that think differently than you. I think that's good enough to go ahead and and spark conversation.
1: Um, I think, with um, of course, with globalization, and now we have the technology where you you can communicate to people all the way on the other side of the world. Now they have um, language apps, which are so great, where you can go to another country and you can turn on your language app to ask directions, to talk to the people there, and the language app translates for you. Um, I think though, as far as like human relationships go, I think, you know, that the type, of person, the type of person that the person is as a human being also makes a very big difference. Like when you look, when you read Betty Mahuta's book, Mahuta's Who's book, that? Not Without My, Betty Mahudi wrote the book, Not Without My Daughter, that was later made into a movie that starred Sally Fields. Mm-hmm. And it was the true story of this American woman who married um, an Iranian doctor. And he, on a pretext of oh wanting to go back and visit his family for a couple weeks, she goes with him to discover, guess what? She and her daughter have actually been kidnapped that he had no intention of ever going back with him to the United States. As a matter of fact, she uh, went to the Canadian embassy and they did a little bit of investigating for her. And they said, do you realize your husband owes the IRS millions of dollars in back taxes? Plus he got fired from his hospital job for doing some things that were actually illegal. So um, she was put in the position where obviously as you you read, read about the relationship in the book, you realize it's not that this guy's Iranian, it's not that he's Muslim, he's crazy. And even if he were an American, he would still be crazy and he would still be an abusive husband no matter what culture he'd be in. And on the other hand, I think of this one um, woman who we, have, um, we, had a, uh, we had a family that used to be members of our show in Baltimore and they moved moved to another city. He got a very good job off another city. And his background was very, very interesting. I don't know if we ever spoke about him before, but his mother was a regular American girl, Jewish American girl from Arizona. And she went to University of Chicago and um, met a young man from a Muslim from Afghanistan. And they dated all throughout college and decided to marry and they married with the agreement that if they live in Afghanistan, the children are gonna be raised Muslim. If they um, live in the United States, the children are gonna be Jewish. Well, of course, she wasn't religious, obviously, so she didn't know that uh, the Jewish, according to Jewish law, if the mother is Jewish, the children are Jewish. She was totally ignorant of that at the time, very obviously. So they get married, they go to Afghanistan, and he, um, he was from a very, very fine family that was very, very high in the government, and he had a very high government position. He was a very outspoken opponent of the Russians, the Russian communists. So when the Russians came into Afghanistan, she and her husband and the kids had to literally flee for their lives. They had to just run with the clothes on their back, no time to pack anything, just get on the first plane. And of course they went to her family in Arizona, Phoenix. (laughs) So, um, this, this guy, by the way, sounds like a really decent guy. So true to his word, so okay. It looks like we're gonna be living here in Phoenix and um, they sent their children to the local Chabad school. He said, yes, yeah. okay, he, he held by his agreement. Children are not gonna be raised Jewish. And one of his hobbies that he liked very, very much was tinkering with cars. So he opened up a garage and every year he took out a great, like this big, whole big one page ad in the Chabad calendar for his garage. And so, you know, people, of course, uh, the, the people in the Jewish community in Phoenix never in their lives imagined that this guy really wasn't Jewish. Because he was, you know, he, they see this but guy. But released he, he looked
0: Israeli, most likely.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he has a garage and he takes out this big and he sends his kids to the Chabad so But the funny thing is that this man, of course, he, um, this man and his brothers and sisters, um, you know, became from. And the funny thing is, though, his legal name, because he was born in Afghanistan, this man's legal name is Mohammed, and he's an Orthodox Jew. That's funny. <laughs> uh, there was another funny story about two cultures kind of colliding. Um, there's this. There was this rabbi in Crown Heights, who um, I was very close to him and his family. They had. They used to live in Baltimore. They moved to Crown Heights, and then when I went to Machaneh Chana, um, he. I heard that there was a girl from Baltimore Mahon Khana, and wanted to like open, like make himself like a Shabbos family to whoever it was. And he contacted me. And uh, of course I accepted the invitation and there was a rabbi, people know he's deceased now, but Rabbi Springer, I'm sure that'll ring a bell with a lot of people. He was a very, very wonderful man. And um, he was raised in a Siberian prison camp. Oh, wow. Literally raised. Where the only set of clothes that he wore twenty four seven, morning, noon, and night, going for pajamas for day wear for you name it, for whatever it was, were the clothes that he had that he was wearing. That was it. And finally, uh, after World War II, he managed to um, he managed to come to the United States. What I think is funny, though, when I asked him how he came, he said he had to go all the way across Russia, Trans-Siberian Railway, had to get off at Vienna, had to go to France, and France was able to go to the United States. I said, wait a minute, you were in Siberia. Why didn't you just go across the Bering Strait to Alaska? He says, that's not how the plane went. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> he could have gotten, maybe got a dog so I'd go across the Bering Strait, I don't know. But um, his wife also had a similar background in that she um, managed to escape the Nazis and make her way to Southern France where they had Bayes Rivka. So, she, and the Nazis didn't go into Southern France. So she uh, was in Southern France attending Bayes Rivka. And she told me the enti- all, the, all the years that she went to Bayes Rivka, then you know, three, four years, she had nothing but one dress. And every night she washed out this dress and hung it up to wait for the next day, just one dress. All she had, all through her high school years. Well, of course, you know, they get married, thank God. They're living in Crown Heights. They're raising a regular you know, Jewish-American family. And his daughter tells me the biggest fights they have is when she comes to her father and says, I need a new dress.
0: Oh, God. He's like, why do you he need says, a dress?
1: Yes, you have one for the week and one for Shabbos. What do you mean? What do you need a new dress for? That's funny. <laughs> the other arguments they would have was one time the the roof was leaking and the wife tells them, listen, we have to replace the roof. What are you talking about? The rest of the roof is okay. So what's just one little leak over here?
0: <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: As far as he was concerned, compared to the way he was raised in that Siberian prison camp. His little house in Crown Heights was the Taj Mahal.
0: Yeah, I get like that sometimes also when it comes to like certain things we're like, yeah, that's manageable. It's okay. If I got a bed, if I a nice, comfy bed, I'm good to go. <laughs> so did so you have, you
1: ever, ha- have you ever had like what's been your? have been having your personal experiences with uh, people from different cultures. No,
0: I I love meeting new people and seeing new people and talking to new people that are like completely different than me and whatnot. The problem comes when you have obnoxious personalities. It doesn't matter. If you agree with them or not, but if you're like, in my opinion, just too abrasive and 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 too much of a bully, I I, I just I can't stand bullies. It's like well, we can sit down, have a conversation, we can talk about things. You know, we can be different people and respect each other's boundaries. But if you're not respectful, if you're being a bully, then I just I really don't want to deal with you. I I don't care how much you agree with me or whatnot. I I don't care. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You're narcissistic, self-centered, self-right. Just, just no, I, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my favorite, favorite time was being around people that weren't like me and meeting new people, uh, especially in college, being surrounded by people that were different than me, especially also the fact that like, I was in such a bubble of Jews that I didn't really speak to anybody and have a conversation with someone who wasn't Jewish until I was about 20 years old. And I started talking to people, and it was so interesting, um, especially when I went to Morgan State, uh, it's an HBCU uh, in Maryland, and just being around, you know, the black community and noticing there's a lot of correlations, a lot of similarities, um, a lot of uh, similar perspectives too. I found that just surprising and, 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 and for me, a little comforting uh, with that being around people that, you know, you would think are totally different than you would, you're very much the same.
1: I remember when you um, uh, attended Morgan. You had some. um, You had some. You had some really nice. You had some really nice people there, that were that were very interesting. Like one of uh, my next my next door neighbor at the time, who was you know was a black lady. I told her about what when um, I told her that you were going to Morgan State. The first thing she she was really concerned about you. The first thing she said was, "Is he okay there? Is he making friends?" You know. I said, "Yeah." I said he is, as a matter of fact, I said he t- he told me, he said it's all in your attitude. He said you come in there with a smile on your face and you treat people you know, like like human beings and, and you do make friends. And it's just Kate, hey, you told me that there was occasionally like some stuck up anti-Semite, but so what? You don't have to be friends with them to have anything to do with them. But I told her what your what some of the what the, the black uh, boys, you know, yeah, gentlemen were saying on campus about um, what's the thing? They said they like their they like their women like their coffee. No, so I, I... I that was funny. So anyways, I told this to my, my neighbor, I told this neighbor, I said, yeah, I said, the guys there, they say that they like their women, like their coffee. She laughed. She says, yeah, black and bitter. They were saying that when I went there 20 years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, just, I think putting yourself in a diverse environment, I think is very healthy for your mental psyche. Um, you know, and that's why I think it's just it's it's interesting when I see a lot of people that are, are very insular and they don't want to do any of that. Um,
1: well, tell me what, what was the one you pick like one or two like very interesting, like the most interesting incident, the most interesting, I guess not incidences I'm looking for the most interesting experiences that you have had with people from another culture, another walk of life. There's a lot. I think I wanted to the most interesting.
0: Um, the most interesting,
1: um,
0: I was in a group meeting once and we were just talking about different things, just to be able to, we were allowed to express ourselves freely. And this one woman was talking about her kids and whatnot, and I saw her and she, and she was telling, you know, the uh, the person in charge that we were, we were talking about stuff, she was telling about her interesting, you know, comments she's, she gets from people who think that she's Ethiopian. And I'm like, yeah, I see that. And so one of the ladies was like, well, what do you mean you could see that she's Ethiopian? I'm like, well, you look at her nose, longer nose. It's just, that's how <laughs> I see her. And and I'm realizing, because like I was so used to oh. being in Israel, uh-huh. you know, seeing Ethiopian Jews. And I realized like Ethiopian Jews have very long noses. And so I was like, oh yeah, she's Ethiopian. And, and it was just a very interesting moment where it's like, we were also talking about, you know, frustrations that they have by being identified you know with the with the color of their skin and mm-hmm. I didn't have anything to correlate to that I just felt that a lot of times for me when I'm in a non-Jewish environment and they notice that I'm Jewish I feel like there's this weird stigma like I have to kind of present myself a certain way and it, it took me a while to shake that off and I don't know about anybody else, but for me, being a, 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 a from religious Jew with the yarmulke on and I'm trying to do the best I can, I, I really have that pressure on me to make sure I make a kid a shashem. You know, you know English is sanctifying a good name, but making good name for, for our people and not trying to be an embarrassment. And yeah, I know what you're
1: talking about. Yeah, it's that's true.
0: It, it, being around people that are different than you, you you, you definitely have that feeling where it's like, no matter how hard you try, you are going to be different than them. You are going to be, you know, perceived differently. You're going to be, you have a whole different background and you just have to accept it. You know, a lot of times people are very frustrated because it's like, you know, we should all be the same. We should all be together the same. Like, no, it's that's not how it's going to be. We're going to be different. We're going to be, you know, like there's a thing where it's like a jew is a jew is a jew so no matter what you do you're always going to be a jew so it's just kind of frustrating but kind of i i just i just accepted it where it's like no matter how hard you try you're to like be the same with somebody else you're always just going to be a jew and you can't Mm -hmm. hide from that and people that hide from that or 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 try to avoid it it's just it's almost like a slap in the face like what are you who are you trying to
1: fool so true oh that is so true Never you try to, it's, it's very true, they do, they, um, non Jews pick up on it very quickly. Yeah. You know? But my father used to have a joke when um, somebody asked him about what he used to, when um, he used to, tell, like when he was younger, he's like in high school, or whatever, or in the army. He used to tell like non Jewish friends of his that, oh, you can tell I'm Jewish. I've got the map of Jerusalem in the middle of my face. <laughs> so one day I was in college, I was, um, I was working at what was called the Opportunity Center. What it was, it was, a, it was a tutorial center where students tutored other students that were having a hard time, say, in certain subjects, but the main purpose of the Opportunity Center was it was originally set up, you know, it's set up really for all students, but They particularly wanted to zero in on a large, there was a large number of Black students who had received scholarships at at that time. I was, I think, in my second year of college. And so a lot of these Black students who had received scholarships were from very, you know, I guess, you know, I hate to say it, but the ghetto. And a lot of them were having a very hard time adjusting to high to the academic standards. So they really needed tutoring, not just tutoring, but there was also a counseling center. There was a, there was a um, very wonderful man. In fact, I went to him a couple of times for therapy. He was um, a, um, he was a psycho- black man, psychologist. He had come from a ghetto background. And so he knew where these kids were coming from and how to help them. So anyway, um, I'm in the center and one of the black students, it's like, she's, thinking, she's we're looking out the window together. I think we were watching the rain together with, on the trees, really pretty area. And there's just this moment of silence and she looks at me and she goes, tell me, how can you tell someone's Jewish? And so I decided to use my father's joke. And I said, well, you see this, and I pointed to my nose. She says, what? I said, it's the map of Jerusalem in the middle of my face. And at first she goes, oh, really? And then she goes, oh!
0: it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, cute. Yeah. it's. I, I, th- I think it's very interesting. I mean, going to at HBCU, I was I was found very interesting with the way they uh, the way they 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 presented like oppression and and frustrations and whatnot, and I was like it, it felt what's, what's, like what's I was H,
1: what's, HB, what's HBCU
0: historically black college university.
1: Oh, I thought that was the name of an
0: institution. No, Hebrew, no, no, no.
1: Hebrew, Hebrew Brothers or something like that. <laughs> no, no,
0: no. HBCU stands for Historically Black College University. Um, uh-huh. the, one of the things I found interesting was that um, the way the Black professors and the way the Black students were talking about, you know, the frustrations of, of being Black in America and, and, and being wary of white people and things like that, it almost reminded me of, being in yeshiva, how they talked about Jews and non-Jews and the frustration that they have and the fear they have of non-Jews and how they, you know, our mis- uh, Jews are being mistreated and things like that. Like it was the same tempo, it was the same template. Like if you just switch black and white between Jew and non-Jew, it was the same exact thing. And I was like, wow, it's like, there's there's no difference whatsoever. It's
1: like they have- well, a- i go ahead. Had, no, that, uh, go go ahead, it. Please. that was it, that was um, it. Because um, I'm very good you brought that up because you just jolted my memory. I had a couple experiences where, um, where for the, I guess when I was in the elementary school, for my elementary school, um, this was during the time of the flight to the suburbs. And so our neighborhood changed very quickly from being practically like all white and Jewish and also like or white and you know white Anglo to being totally black. So my last few years in elementary school, I was basically attending a majority black elementary school, and when the teachers would talk about, what they wanted to try to motivate the students to, you know, to get as much education as they can, and to take advantage of opportunities. Which at that time, this was the early 1960s, oh, wow. was open was opening up. You know, opportunities and higher education were opening up. like
0: They just desegregated the schools, basically.
1: Well, they the, the schools were desegregated around 1955 before. The okay, actually, so five before years before, ago. Yeah. Five years. Yeah.
0: Okay. Only, yeah.
1: Yeah. So anyway, so they emphasized that the importance of getting a good education is so you can get a good job. And fine, that made sense. Then we moved to the Jewish suburbs. And when I was in sixth grade now, I'm going to a predominantly white Jewish school. The teacher asked the class, what's the importance of getting a good education? So, of course, you know, my hand stood up and I said, to get a good job. And the whole class started laughing at me. Wow. What? I was like shocked. And then the other kids, first of all, the teacher, though, was very, the teacher was very nice. And she stopped them. She says, wait a minute. She says, what are you laughing about? She said, you know, this is, this is a, this is a very good reason for getting an education. Something wrong with that. So she says, and what's some other reasons? So that so then the kids were, for fulfillment, uh, to understand the world. I'm like their ideas were like much, how can I say it, less concrete and more lofty. And who knows how many of those kids wound up on drugs. I don't
0: know. <laughs> I mean, it was the 60s, like i might, I might be surprised. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I'll tell you then there was another thing that happened when I was going to Towson. Of course, Towson at that time was predominantly white. But they were like I said, you know, in my, my in my second year, there was a very big effort that was made by Towson University to offer um, opportunities and scholarships to you know uh, low socioeconomic black students. So uh, there was one summer, uh, well, anyway, uh, one summer that I attended summer classes at um, uh, Baltimore City Community College, and I was surprised in talking to the black students, the difference in the way American history was taught in a white school, as opposed to a black school, especially the, especially with emphasis on the Civil War, that in, in the white schools where I attended, the Civil War was taught where slavery was an aspect of the Civil War, but that there were other things also. In other words, it was kind of downplayed. Whereas in the black school, they were taught that slavery, that slavery was the main issue.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I remember growing up and I was learning that slavery was very important, but the main issue was states' rights versus federal rights. And that the way to hurt the South, they decided to do the Emancipation Proclamation where they free the slaves and that would hurt the Southern states and therefore crumbled their economy and then push them to have more federal control. And that Abraham Lincoln didn't really care about, you know, black people. He was just using it as a tactic to fight against the South.
1: Was it, did you learn this, what, in high school or in college? This, I think this was middle
0: school. This was middle school,
1: mm-hmm.
0: was middle school a, that, that I- that, now, when,
1: now, now, when you went to Morgan State, did you notice like a difference also in the way that they taught the Civil War?
0: I never took Civil War, I took uh-huh. Humanities. And I'm not sure if I talked about it on the air, about that one professor. One professor was very nice. He was a black Muslim guy from North Africa. Mm-hmm. And, he, and um, I had a great time, learned a lot of stuff, was very interested. The second time around was a black woman who was very defensive. And I had to just give in to whatever she said. I couldn't really have conversations with her. There Was this one there's this one girl in class was talking about how the Jews were saved by the Americans during World War II? And I was like, that's not true. And I got into a whole argument with her. And the professor told me to be quiet and that let her speak her truth. And looking back, I probably was a little abrasive, I probably was too <laughs> loud, but I, I felt that like, you know, that that wasn't really what happened because the way Jews were talked about what happened was that. You know, no one gave a shit. No one cared. No one did anything. And it only was a happenstance and an after effect that we were somewhat saved, quote unquote, because the Americans and the Russians were plowing through Germany and the rest of Europe and stumbled upon the, the concentration camps and like freed them. But they didn't really free them. They just entered and were like, what do we do with these people that were just being systemically murdered? There wasn't like no one cared. Just like no one cares mm-hmm. right now what's happening in China. Like nobody yeah. cared, and to think that the Americans are this were this big savior is just is not true yeah. in, in Jewish narrative. Um, I saw
1: something on yeah, I saw something on YouTube. I forgot who it was. A, a gentleman, non-Jewish gentleman. He's um from Holland. He's Dutch, you know, from Holland. Yeah. And he's a historian, and he had an entire presentation on YouTube, showing like what you said, how the world powers just plain didn't care and that there were opportunities where they certainly could have helped that they, in fact, they, in fact, evidently as early as 1942, word was getting out about the severity of the concentration camps. No and cared. that they, right, that they could have done something about it then and, and simply did not.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, again, it, that's just, that's that's for another conversation. Right now, we're a little we're a little ahead of time. Over time, okay. Um, but maybe we'll talk about uh, talk about that um, next time. But thank okay. you so much, Ima. I love you. In
1: love, love you. Have a great Shabbos, darling. Bye. You too. Have wonderful job, thanks, bye. honey. Bye bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook at Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I know you would like it, and my mother would too.